What is going on? Welcome to your Thursday edition of Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Drance, who also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. And we are, of course, coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. Drancer, they did it again. Another OT win. Speaking of perfect Come fits. back in the third period. Speaking of perfect fits. Games in which the Canucks play really, really indefensibly bad and win. And win in overtime. And our show the next day. These are my favorite types of shows, honestly. Because everyone's going to get really mad when I talk about how appalled I was at the Canucks form. And, like, appalled is the right word. Now, here, you know, we, get, we have the positivity and the negativity set. In Vancouver, this uh, this binary of coverage is like positive and negative, right? Which, of course, coverage is neither positive nor negative. It's factual and informative or not. But what's always interesting to me is how different that binary is from the way teams talk internally, mm. right? If you've ever had the opportunity to watch a game with a scout or a general manager and to watch how mad they get at their own team, Right, the the sort of like you think you think a media commentator is negative. I promise you, they are eighteen times less negative than the head coach or the general manager of the team itself watching that team play badly. There is no way that Bruce Boudreaux was happy with the performance he got from his team last night. No, no chance. So let, let's go through it. Let's go micro in on the game, and then we'll do our zoom out thing and get to the top of the pyramid, as we as we like to do. So I will say, first of all, no, first no, of all, don't no, no, bring no. up that they're two points out of I the wasn't, spot. I wasn't going I, to. I actually don't even have time for it I today, I wasn't going Jamie. to, although somebody, somebody else texted in, we are currently tied with the avalanche for points, hashtag facts only. I wasn't going to go there. Wrong show. I wasn't going to go there. We don't even do that here. <laughs> That's true. Obviously, it's facts only. We don't need to specify that. We're the factual show. <laughs> I, I, it's the my, other one that's like, hey, we're not making things up anymore. My, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Obviously, our colleagues rock. My big picture takeaway from last night's game is that I, after the Montreal game and the, that game, I have decided to just completely embrace the volatility and embrace the. Oh yeah, so, like I'm going to enjoy the ride. Sorry, I I'm going to enjoy should. the ride. I think you should, and I think Canucks fans should. And this relates back to what I was saying about. The, the probability that this is the best supporting cast in Pedersen and Hughes' primes yesterday, right? Like, well, yeah, and we enjoy, enjoy this like, ride. Let's hope it's fun. It better be let's fun. Let's hope it's fun. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, you know, I, since, since the moment they signed the Miller extension, I think that's been my argument, right? Like, let's hope they at least get some fun out of this. Now, the thing is, though, Jamie, like, I watched a lot of hockey last night. It was fun, but like, it was it, it was fun the way Doritos are tasty. So extremely. You know, like at the end of it, I had zesty cheese dust on my fingers. You know, like the Canucks. Yeah, and you felt both like queasy, but also still hungry. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, not at all nourished. No. The So the Canucks take that 3-1 lead, right? And it's the Niels Hoaglander goal. That gives them the the third goal. Mm -hmm. What was their second one again? 
Uh, Joshua would have been right. Right. Joshua okay. The first so, two. Oh, so so Joshua gets on a, the, Joshua on the power play. But but really, it's a fortunate bounce off of a bad angle OEL shot. Lovely stuff by Joshua. By the way, I want to talk about the fourth line later. We'll talk. We'll, we'll you want positives. You want positives. The yeah. fourth line was a big one. Um, power play goal. Good positioning from Joshua, who's never played a moment of power play net front in the NHL until that moment. Like hit, that's his first. Net front shift as a power play guy because he was slotted to do it against the ha- uh, sorry against the Coyotes mm-hmm. on Hockey Fights Cancer Night got hurt. I don't know. Uh, sorry, so maybe maybe he played a little bit a- against Montreal and I just didn't notice it. Um, no, he didn't. He was out for Montreal as well. Okay, perfect. He missed so, both of those games. So I because I, I asked him, I went in, ha- you know, having observed that he was working at the net front, something I was observing closely because that to me was the tell that Besser is in fact out against the Coyotes on the Saturday. So I just walked by his stall. He's sitting there. Joshua's nice, uh, you know, good, a good conversation. Like, Joshua's a good people. And so I, I just walked by. I'm like, you ever you ever been at the net front on the power play? He's like, not here. <laughs> not at the NHL level. He's like, I did in the A a bit. Like, definitely played there a bit in uh, in Ohio State. I'm like, all right, man. Well, good luck. And he didn't need it. He didn't, you know, he's got pretty good hands and tight. He's got a big frame. I'm, hey. I'm I'm look I'm here for the Joshua glow up the 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 one part of the game that really got me going is like I really wanted that hat trick for Joshua I just thought oh yeah what a course. great what a great moment that, that would have been, been really really cool. like like when Tim Schaller did it or like you no know, you, but you know like I love to see a guy like Joshua who does good work who is like genuinely effective have a game like that and I thought it was a Honestly, I thought Look, it was a decent call. There's always it made sense to me that I, that goal, I will say goal this, came off the board. I don't have a problem with that call. If if the NHL wants to set the standard oh, that if, is goalie interference, yeah, I don't have a problem with it. If they want to set the standard that it's not interference, I don't have a problem with that. I would love to know the standard. I, that's that's what it comes down to for me. My my rule on goaltender interference is don't pay attention to the contact. Pay attention to how far into the crease the contact occurred. Like the way that I sort of look at goalie interference these days is I look at it as if the uh, remember the skate in the blue paint rule. Yes. Right. Obviously, every fan of the Buffalo Sabers does. Um, imagine that that still exists when judging goalie interference, and instead of looking at the contact and trying to figure that out, focus on the location wherein it happens. If the goalie is out far enough that it's like contact, the skater is sort of in white ice. Typically, I find that those are the ones that go the the shooter's way. If it's far far enough in the crease that the skaters' skates are in blue ice, I find like that. That to me, at the end of the day. So I used to watch games with Chris Pronger on a regular basis, who worked for DOPS, and Chris Pronger better than anyone else I'd ever seen. Every time there was a challenge, knew exactly which way it was going to go, and I was like, "Oh my god, there's someone who has a perfect sense of this." Like, this is unbelievable. Yeah. And what what I got, like, the trend that I picked up over time, not not something he specifically told me. The trend I picked up over time was if, if I'm paying attention to the location where the contact happens, I have a far better grasp on which way it's going to go than if I'm paying attention to the yeah, contact I was, itself. I wasn't surprised to see that one called back. Let's put no, it that way. But when I saw the replay, I was like, ah, there's a good chance that's coming back. So you get the Joshua hat trick glow up with the disallowed goal devastating for, for Thomas Drance on his couch. And... The Niels Hoaglander goal, which was nice. I mean, I, I like that Niels Hoaglander goal, but I want to talk about the middle six because yikes. Yikes. We've got a lot to come back to there. And from that point on, the San Jose Sharks generated like 12 five-alarm scoring chances. They end up scoring the tying goal on like an absolute trickler, right? Like a, mm-hmm. a bad goal. But 
Martin was under a fair bit of duress and made some really tough saves to preserve a 3-2 lead. That stretch of defensive hockey has become characteristic for this team. To do that against this Sharks team, like this Sharks team where it's just a bunch of guys. Like there was a guy named Seuss in the lineup. Yes, there was. I noticed that as well. I think his first name is CJ. I was like, CJ Seuss. Okay, he's still around. Like I remember looking at him on lists of stuff. I mean, I don't know. Like there's guys that don't have opinions on on the Sharks. I have the, opinions the on, ultimate. like, 50 Canucks players. The, the ultimate. No, insult. truly. Like, I don't even have opinions on some of these guys. Um, they completely pulverized the Canucks 5-on-5. Five five. Chance after chance after chance. Canucks PK looked bad. Sharks get a power play goal. Canucks, I mean, I just thought it was a, a, a dismal. And here's the here's the problem with it. You know, if you're playing the second leg of a back-to-back, or if you have a game like that every 10, every 15. Okay, off night, right? Every team over the course of a year is going to have 12 games where everything goes badly for them and they win. Every team's going to have 12 games uh, a year where everything goes right for them and they lose. Like, that's hockey. But this is consistent for this team. You just have these moments where it's like no one is playing at all uh, defensively. And the Canucks still find a way to take the lead into the second intermission because Tyler Myers throws an accidental pass that, like, borrowing the magic of Lee Harvey Oswald's magic bullet, it, like, zooms through, right, like, defying the laws of physics. Besser tries to catch it. The Sharks' completely hapless defenders are just like, huh? I mean, that was, (laughs) look, is it fun to see that goal? Sure. Is it also kind of yucky? Yeah. Like, that's bad hockey. Well, it's not great hockey. It's bad it's the hockey. same thing with the Montreal game to a lesser extent, right? This one wasn't as nuts as that one was, but it's the same thing. It's two not I, great teams. I, I thought the Canucks were way worse. Oh, sure. But I just mean the night. overall quality of the hockey. Like, sure. Cumulatively yeah. from both teams. Oh, 100%. It's, it's just kind of wacky, fun, goofy it's like, hockey. It's like watching your friends play Mario Kart 8 as opposed to watching a Twitch stream of, you know, people who really know what they're doing. Anyway. <laughs> the I want to get into the third period though because without question that team goes in into the intermission the second intermission being like we're up one but we never hold leads a and b we have not played well tonight and you know I promise you no one's matter about their performance through 40 minutes lead or not than Bruce Boudreau and no one is keener to see this team play some semblance of organized hockey to close out a game without drama in the third period than Bruce Boudreau, right? Like, no one's got more on the line Mm. than Bruce Boudreau. And they come out and they don't register a shot for 12 minutes against a rookie goaltender who's never played in in the NHL as the Sharks score two consecutive to retake the lead. Like, what what are we talking about? We can't frame this in the context of, like, fearlessness and resilience. Like, that was bad. That was bad hockey. It was a Terrible performance. I thought that was the worst performance of this Canucks season. I le- I know I know there's stiff competition there. I legitimately don't think there's been another game that I watched this team play where I thought they were as hapless as they were against San Jose last night. The one that would comes comes to my mind immediately is the home game against Buffalo, the home opener against Buffalo, because of how that third period went. Yeah, I mean it was bad, but like they were in. I don't know. I just don't think. 
At the end of the day, Buffalo's going to score goals and make teams look silly. San Jose should not be outchancing you 2-1. to one. Especially when it's like, you know, you had two days off between games. Like, they, the Canucks hadn't played since, what, Monday? Yeah, they had a day off. Yeah, they had a day but off. It wasn't. But no, but I mean, there's no reason for this team to have played like that. Like, there's no schedule reason. There's no, you know, I can't come up with context for it. The Sharks badly outplayed them. And then the Canucks, you know, luckily they have Elias Pettersson. And he's such an uber-level talent right now. Like, I was texting with Jason Bruff during the game, so you, so he can... Brag. <laughs> Name drop. What a life. <laughs> I was texting with Jason Bruff during the game, so he can verify this. But the Canucks sort of, you know, surrender the lead in the third period. The Sharks scored the go-ahead goal, and he texts me, and I text back just like, they're still coming back and winning this. Oh, 100%. And it's- I said, it's just a matter of time before Elias Pettersson calls game. And then after the game, as that unfolded exactly as uh, as I'd said to Bruff it would, I said to him, I really, you know, it's really too bad. I can't gamble on hockey. Hey, by the way, congrats to all our listeners who took my uh, money line, my Canucks money line's great there value advice. That one was never in doubt. <laughs> Smooth sailing. But the thing about even when the Canucks go down in the third period and you're not actually concerned, and that's a factor of a bunch of things. I think it's one, the overall where the NHL is right now in terms of scoring and comebacks. Yeah, it's, but but it's the Canucks. It's the Canucks power play and the fact that a team trailing in the third period has a very good chance of getting a power play at some point in the NHL. And they've used that both in Montreal against Montreal and San Jose. Two consecutive games against two terrible teams and two, like, at least the Montreal call looked like a penalty to me. The sh- the call on Radic Shimek, Shimek, I don't know. I'll get it right eventually. Um, I thought that was soft. Like, if that call goes against the Canucks, if that's the other way, that's all this market's talking about. That was a brutal call at a brutal moment for San Jose. But, all of that said. But, you know, the what Canucks... A, what a sick slap pass from Elias Better. The Canucks... Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. The Canucks, uh, they... I mean, they give up the opening goal, what, 18 seconds into the game, and then they're down in the third period. And then there's there's never a moment where you're like, oh, this isn't going to happen. And they play really poorly in the game, but you still don't think it's not going to happen. because no, the Sharks are terrible. The, again, the Sharks have all those guys. It's like you have moments... Like the Carlson stretch pass or like Timo Meyer does something cool or Tomash Hurdle has like sort of an, an one moment where it looks like he's doing something pretty good. And you're just like, okay. And then all of the rest of the time, it's ugly, right? It's like they have three really good players and nothing else, nothing else, including, you know, here's, here's what you never want to say about the team you cover. They're lucky James Reimer wasn't playing. Like if that's if that's a sentence that's true about the team that you root for, like that's a bad sign. And so, uh, do you have anything to add about the game? And I mean, we'll we'll talk to individual performances yeah, no, in the second my, half. My my, I, I, and as I said, my takeaway was, I don't. I'm not going to extrapolate anything from this game, right? Like I knew, I know the Canucks are gonna, are really bad. Defensively. I am. I am. So the fact that they did it against the Sharks again doesn't really mean much to me. All I'm going to do is say, hey, that was really fun. Elias Pettersson is awesome. I enjoyed watching that game. If that can be the standard, right? Where I, they play goofy high event hockey and Elias Pettersson does everything awesome, does something awesome a few times a game. I'm happy with that. And I don't mean from a long term, no, like that's, lower the standard. That's going to be really as a viewing experience. You're going to get that 12 times a year when the Canucks face the Bedard contenders. And you might get it, you know, five five to ten additional times against good teams the, when when he puts it together. But the I problem mean, is, then you also get the Washington, Florida, Florida and Washington. Games. I mean, yeah, that's the problem. I'm just looking at this and like the reaction in the market, like eight three and zero, oh! and like 
I'm sorry. Like I, I promise you, like, I promise you my love of being right would, would, would assure you that like, if there was a chance the Canucks were turning it around for real, I'd be early on it because I wouldn't want to miss it. Right. Like that's the sort of story that I wouldn't want to miss. And I'm really finding it difficult to see this as anything but a dead cat bounce, right? Like over this eight, three and stretch, they've been outscored at five on five. They've been outchanced by 60 at five on five. The shooting percentage has actually come down a bit, but the goaltending is at like eight ninety. And here's the problem. I'm not sure it's going to get better in the stretch yeah. ahead. And this, this text comes in unsigned the way the Canucks have been playing and their next opponents and goalie situation. I could see them not win for the rest of the month. No, that's too that's much. a little extreme. They play the Sharks again on the twenty seventh. They do play the Sharks at home again on the twenty seventh. Yeah. But Da-na. I do think it's important to Da-na. take into account the goaltending situation. And Spencer Martin made some fantastic saves last night. He also gave up the you know the the dribbler that just sneaks over the line to tie the game. When you couple the goalie situation with the fact that it's all teams for the rest of the month, with the exception of the Sharks. It is all teams that are at least theoretically competing with the Canucks for a Western Conference playoff spot. In right? the Canucks' mind. Either in the Pacific Division or <laughs> in the Western Conference wildcard. In the Canucks' minds, but also all of those teams, at least right now, and we'll see where things stand towards the end of the month, probably still have to, with the possible exception of the, the Jets and maybe the Kraken, all of those teams still have to look at where the Canucks are in the oh, standings and at least take it seriously. Definitely the Kraken, man. Yeah. The Kraken are, and the Jets too. Like those are, you pick the two softest teams. But I'm talking just strictly based on the standings. Oh, sure. Right now. You know what I mean? Like but who cares Minnesota about the standings might, right now? Minnesota might think they're way better than the Canucks. 50 games left. No, no, no. But you still look at it in a team that's two points behind you. And even if you think, okay, they're not well, going to come back and will catch the Kraken, us. Will the Kraken, over under five and a half points, the Kraken finish ahead of the Canucks? Over under. What is it right now? Almost 10. Check. I'd probably say over. Under. Big right. time. Big time betting the under on that. All right. That's a fade of the Kraken more than it is. Um, yeah, obviously. Now, the Jets are a little more interesting because they're actually controlling play a little bit better. And Connor Hellebuck is really good. Like, you know, as we've learned in this market, I mean, maybe we forgot it. But, like, sometimes really good goalies have a great year and then an off year. And then they're very likely to return to form because they're still Connor Hellebuck and or Thatcher Demko. And our wizards at stopping pucks. What, reasonable expectations for Martin. Like if Martin is running with the crease here, and for six more weeks, by the way, like we do have to adjust our expectations. Nine hundred, nine hundred would be great. Within a stone's throw of nine hundred would be tolerable. That's all you can expect from a goalie making league minimum who's played what twenty NHL games in his career. Mm-hmm. This is how the Canucks are set up. They don't have a two million dollar backup. You know they haven't. They didn't invest heavily in that position. Maybe they'll be able to find like a guy for cheap. You know, maybe that maybe maybe a goalie coming back is part of a return for for a, in in some kind of trade, right? I mean, pretty interesting expiring goalie contract in Dallas and in, in Anton Hadobin, for example, if you're looking at it from a price matching perspective. But I think if 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 Martin's running with this crease for the next six weeks. Eight nine five is going to be like okay, you get what you paid for. Nine hundred would be really good. So we do kind of have to adjust our expectations here. The, this team's unlikely to get the sort of goaltending that hides their defensive flaws, and that's going to put a lot of pressure on a lot of players who haven't played well to this point. Uh, last point I want to bring up about the game last night. 
I don't think we need to see more Studnika at center. I'll be totally honest with you. That line had one good shift in the first period, and I tweeted something about Kuzmenko can drive a line, and then the rest of the game it was putrid, like really bad. The Bo Horvat line, really, really bad. bad night. Really, really, really bad, bad night. That's okay. I still believe in that line. That's going to happen for, for like from the perspective of a line. I'm not concerned about it. From the perspective of team performance, it feels like a problem that Vancouver's middle six forwards with, with Stadnika and Horvat on the ice were outshot 4-22 to 22 by the San Jose Sharks. Like, that's like Nick Bonino time. Like, come on. Come on. The Pedersen line came out even, and obviously we know what Pedersen did. He's just at the absolute. It's amazing to think that a year ago uh, we were debating hotly on this show uh, whether or not he'd ever find it again. Or that anyone ever doubted that he was the best player on this team. Wild. But it's been quite quite a 12 months and quite a turnaround from a super elite player. I always knew he had him, it had it in him. I I, I just just pointing that just want to pat myself on the back. <laughs> the fourth line. Let's do this quick, actually, because I don't want to do like a whole yeah, segment yeah, yeah, on the fourth yeah. line. What? Sounds right up our alley. Yeah, you're right, it does. We'll probably do it anyway. At some point we'll do it. <laughs> well no, At we'll, some point we'll, we'll probably do it. it anyway. One thing about this fourth line that I haven't liked as much as I think a lot of other people have. They have a lot of control in the offensive end of the rink. Like, they spend a lot of time in, you know, 150 feet from their own net. There's value there, right? There's value in, like, a fourth line that you can just throw out and nothing happens one way or the other, right? They're just low event, reliable, safe from a coach's perspective. That's why Boudreaux loves them. One thing that's really bothered me over the course of the season is that while they have, you know, uh, they're constantly locked in battles along the wall, uh, whether it's Lazar or Studnika, you know, three guys pretty long, win them, win more than their fair share of 50-50s, and they spend a lot of time on the wall in the offensive end. It's just that there's no effort ever to bring the puck out front. Like, it feels like they don't even care. They're just happy to kill time. That's part of their job. And you can do that, but it's like, I'd love to see that line at least try to generate a few more shot attempts, a little bit more danger for the opposition, particularly because, you know, guys like Lazar and Joshua, for me, are absolute 10-goal potential. Last night, felt like almost all of their shifts ended with, like, three guys standing right on top of, whether it was Mackie Niemi or um, Capo Kakonen, and they were just, like, absolutely, like, hammering away at loose pucks in the blue. Like, <laughs> last night... It felt like they really went hard to the dirty areas of the ice as opposed to being content to play their usual grinding perimeter. To it's cycle. Like, right, but, but they play like a hard perimeter game. And it's fine. I see the value. I just like, it drives me. It's I, I feel like it goes too far sometimes. I feel like they could do more to generate some of that grime. Yeah. It, and they were covered in grime. It's hard for me to get last too night. frustrated about a fourth line shift that like cycles the puck for 40 seconds, but doesn't get a shot. You know what I mean? Like, that's not bad. No, it's not bad. But I'm, not, I'm not saying I, it's bad. But I understand what you're saying where... I just like that fourth line more yeah, than you, I like how they play. It would be sense. one thing if you thought that was the ceiling for the fourth line, but what you're saying is they have the ability to do more. I just, yeah, right? I just think all of those players are, like, at some point, at some point, you know, Lazar, I think, is like a high-end fourth line guy. I think the Canucks have found another high-end fourth line guy in Dakota Joshua, and I'm beginning to wonder if there could be even more there. We'll get into that. That's something to get into in a, in a third segment.
Yeah. Niels Amon, I you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm still I jury's still out. I love the speed, I love the size. Um, he's sort of the biggest defender for me. He's the guy who like most often gets the puck down low and like instead of even trying to connect a pass for a scoring chance, it just goes back up to the D. Yeah, I mean you you bring this up with Shen and stuff all the time too. It's like I just want to see them try to generate more because mm. I think there's enough skill there that they might sometimes succeed. And when they can, I mean, it's a huge deal for the club. Well, I think certainly with Dakota Joshua, he's shown he has the hands and, and a little bit of the offensive instinct to to do more than your average fourth line grind and muck it up shift. One power play net front shift. There you go. One power play net front <laughs> goal. Good start. Go. Good start for the big guy. Uh, we're going to take a break. Greg Wyshynski from ESPN will join us next. We'll get his thoughts on the Canucks and some uh, some of the other things going on around the league as well. It is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance, live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative is at Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Greg Wyshynski from ESPN going to join us momentarily. We'll get his thoughts uh, on the Canucks and things happening around the NHL as well. I, I did want to read this one. Uh, this this text comes in from George, who says, you boys are missing it. The Canucks aren't trying to tank for Connor Bedard. That would be too quick, too short term. They're tanking for Gavin McKenna. Gavin McKenna is unreal. Far and away, the best player in the 2026, 2026 NHL draft. That text is from George. and uh, I don't even know who that is. I, that's, I, that's impressive. That's I a, didn't know the name either. He's come up with a guy who I don't even have an opinion on. I did not know the name either. I looked it up. He's currently 14, will turn 15 on December 20th. He's already played seven games and scored six points for the Medicine Hat Tigers in the dub what? at 14. Where's he from? He is from Whitehorse. Whitehorse? Yeah. Oh, I so love there this you go. I'm all, I know, right? I'm all, I'm all aboard the Gavin McKenna train. Yeah, me too. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, on that note, we will uh, welcome in our next guest. He covers the NHL for ESPN. He is, of course, Greg Wyshynski. Uh, Wish, thanks very much for doing this. How are you? So, that's, so are we talking like wet the beta for? for <laughs> <the> <laughs> <Gavin McKenna? laughs> Is that what we're on now? Yeah, that's Just what we're on. Bedard. What are you using for Bedard, by the way? <laughs> oh, I, I, so either tank hard or fail hard for Connor Bedard. Either either one of those two, I think, is pretty good. It doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't roll off the tongue like some of the other ones that we've had, but it's still it's still pretty good. Um, unless Fantilli like somehow passes him in the rankings, then I don't know what we're going to do. Yeah, but, Fantilli uh, is a tough one. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen, though, so I think we should be okay. With uh, I like hoisted by your own petard for Bedard, but it's a little <laughs> it's a little too long for a little hashtag. wordy. A little wordy. It, yeah, well, it, it, me? Wordy? Come on. I can, I can tell you, as, as someone who spends most of his day on the, uh, the internet, a, a little too highbrow uh, for the hockey, <laughs> the hockey fandom, I think. Not the first time Drance has well, heard that criticism. And, and, and you're going to have to come up with one for, Sca- uh, what is it, Scal- uh, no, Celebrini. Macklin Celebrini. Yeah, yeah, Celebrini for next year, Wish. So get thinking. Yeah, I'll get right on it. But yeah. no, it's, it's, it's always fun. Um, and, and, you know, as I'm looking at the standings now, I mean, I know you were just talking about, like, the the Canucks' uh, sudden ascension. We are starting to see that that uh, delightful separation between the haves and the have-nots. We, we saw a, a brief flirtation from teams like Chicago and, and Arizona earlier in the season, 
and now we are really uh it's like when you shake up uh oil and vinegar right and then eventually you get the separation of the two it's it's sort of that becoming the thing in the fannings right now yeah and I know there's been a lot of Canucks fans, obviously. Look, Connor Bedard is from Vancouver, huge Canucks fan. There's a, a desire for the Canucks to get into that race, but I think with the amount of talent on the team, that's probably not realistic. Uh, you know, I know you've made you've been on uh, with our guys in the morning, Halford and Bruff, and kind of made the point, Wish, that you're a little surprised how little has changed with the Canucks from yeah. old management to new management, and you know, we've been talking about just kind of embracing the roller coaster of of this Canucks season. Your, what's your view from afar of how this Canucks season has unfolded so far? Well, I mean, dysfunction would be underselling it, uh, and 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 it starts at the top with having hired a, the ownership, having hired a coach before hiring the Stanley Cup championship architect to come in to run your team. Like that is just not how it's done in this league, and and it ine- inevitably, when you know, leads to the kind of tensions that we've seen between Jim Rutherford and Bruce Boudreau, with you know the public criticism of the way they play, and basically saying the only reason he's here is because he's um, contractually obligated to keep him around, and that that sort of thing, and th- and then on top of that, like you said, like I, from afar, I'm I'm just completely baffled why you bring in a new regime. And then they kind of double down on what's already there. I mean, in the sense, I'm one of these people that doesn't believe that Brock Besser and JT Miller should have both been back this season. Like this team has enough holes and has enough needs, especially on the blue line. We're turning one of those guys around for help in one of those departments, I think would have been the best thing moving forward for Vancouver. And it still might happen based on everything we've heard with Besser. Um, But it's those types of moves that just leave me sort of baffled as to, what the plan is going forward. And, and if, if the plan is to double down on the roster that's already there, then, then why even make the change? <laughs> why make the change? I know why you make the change. Everybody out there is screaming about Jim Benning still ain't there anymore. But, but why even make the change if you're just going to double down on what's already there? It, it is baffling, Greg, but do you think there's enough here with the way that Elias Pettersson is playing? Quinn Hughes maybe hasn't been at his absolute apex level to to begin the season but is there enough here that you know uh bolder moves maybe aren't necessary well i mean it depends on the boldness of the move i mean i don't think that trading besser or, or trading miller would have been all that bold when if you consider if you consider the four pillars the four foundations of whatever they're building in vancouver to be elias petterson quinn hughes uh, Thatcher Demko, and if you want Bo, Bo Horvat, then making some of those other moves aren't as bold as, as they may appear to be based on how good those players are. And I kind of believe those should be the four pillars. I know there's going to be a lot of debate about what you do with Bo and, and the money he's going to make and, and whether he's going to come back and all that stuff. But if you're moving forward with a plan of having those four guys be your pillars moving forward and, and you construct around them, we've got something. I mean, you have the holy trinity of, of what a successful hockey team is, which is an offensive superstar, a, a, a number one defenseman, and a, and a franchise-level goalie, which I still believe Demko, Demko is. So from that as your starting point, there doesn't need to be a real radical uh, reinvention of the roster because you've got yourself a core. And, and I know there's always debate about like how good that core is. I think you know, undoubtedly there's been some NHL playoff bubble brain as far as like how good this team actually was or is. But uh, I, I'm a believer in those three in particular, as as far as being, you know, a solid a solid foundation to build on moving forward. 
And I, I especially look at what Elias Patterson is doing this year, Wish. And I think, you know, you make a really good point. It, sometimes when the topic of a rebuild or bold moves or a change of direction gets brought up, the reaction from fans is, you know, I don't want to wait three, four years of, of watching the team be really, really bad. And the thing I look at it is if, if you have Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes and Thatcher Demko and you're building around them, I think you could make some pretty bold moves without sinking to the Arizona or Chicago level because you have those uh, pieces to build around. And, you know, I don't want to do the classic, oh, we'll turn this around real quick thing. You still have to be disciplined and all that. But I don't think it's necessarily means you're staring at, you know, a half decade of darkness as long as you keep those pieces around. <laughs> It's a good starting point, and and then the trick is to kind of figure out ways to build around them and build up, f- figure out what your needs are, and and then again, you know, that's where you know drafting and, and player development really be- comes to the forefront more than anything else. If you think about kind of where the, for example, the Tampa Bay Lightning were, um, and, and the Lightning had become sort of a model franchise for a lot of people. I remember being in Tempe, Arizona recently, having Bill Armstrong tell me about how they're going to be the Lightning and how that's going to be their path forward. I'm like, all right, good luck with that, but. Um, <laughs> it's easy, know, right? Start- it's easy. Just yeah, become the lightning. Super easy. Super easy. Their starting point was Stamkos and Hedman, right? And, <laughs> and those are two really strong pieces to start with. But the reason they became the lightning was not by shipping guys out and flipping guys and getting guys that are, you know, 25, 26, some other teams. Their path forward was having a collection of, of strong talent in, at the AHL level and then having all that talent come through together um, under the cap at a low cost, and then they all, you know, eventually became incredible players like Kucherov and Palat and players like that. Um, so it's you, your starting point is a core. You do what you can as far as augmenting that core with with available veteran players and, and, and smart decisions. But ultimately, it really does come down to player development and and and, and more importantly, more to the point, cheap labor um, as the cap will rise. But it's still a cap league. Greg, how seriously, like, we, we have this segment where I ask people to give me their tears. Like, just give me your tears in terms of how things stack up in the in the Western Conference. Um, you know, this is because I work at The Athletic, so everything must be tiered. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but truly, I, I like to do it. Give me your tears in the Western Conference in terms of contention and where the Canucks fit in. Well, at least one of your editors came from uh, ESPN, and so we are both dabbling in tears. There. Uh, <laughs> tear, I, have, I have many tears over how many tears I need to do. <laughs> um, as, far as, as far as what the West stacks up as, I mean, I, I've, I've always thought that a healthy Vegas team um, is, is a flat-out cup contender, uh, and I think I've been proven correctly. Uh, you know, the, the Logan Thompson of it all is something that I think a lot of us maybe didn't anticipate him being as good as he is, but they 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 were legit even before Bruce Cassidy showed up to kind of get them back on track. So I think them and, and the Avalanche are kind of in tears by themselves. And, and I know that there's some concern that the Avalanche might not even be in the postseason this year. Yeah, they might be um, the Vegas of this year, right? Yeah, they might be the Vegas of this year. And I, it's funny, I was just talking to someone in Colorado about that, and they're kind of freaking out. They're like, should we pull a trigger on a trade now? I'm like, you do realize that when we were all on the ice celebrating the cup with you guys, that like we all agreed that the window to win is well beyond this season. Like there is, should be absolutely no panic for that organization. Mm. Like they, they could, they could tank this year and, and come back next year and win the cup. And I don't think anybody would blink at it. So I still think that them at full capacity in Vegas 
are are in, maybe in a tier by themselves. Then one step down is probably Dallas and 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 um, Edmonton and L.A. I'm not huge on Calgary uh, in the we've done all we can to plug the holes in the sinking ship incarnation. I still think they're a competitive team. I just think that when 82 goals walk out the door, uh, no matter what you do, it's going to be impossible to replace that. Um, and then I would, you know, kind of throw in uh, Minnesota uh, in that tier as well. Um, Seattle is the real question mark for me like that for all the talk about like hey are the devils surreal or some other teams surreal like seattle's underlying numbers last year were very strong if you talk to them internally they were always just like if we can get some saves we're going to be good and obviously the arrival of veneers has reset their depth at center in a way that really makes them a lot better Mm -hmm. i just don't know what their ceiling is quite quite yet with this collection they're really good they're really competitive they're winning games i just don't know what their ceiling is yet so would the Canucks then fit in underneath the Kraken in your view or at parity with them? Oh, that's a really good question. I would, I would say, I would say they would, they would be in the same tier as them. Yeah, I, I would. I think, I think when Vancouver is on their game um, and they're playing well and, and they're healthy, which is you know, now all of a sudden a concern, um, they're, they're right sort of bubbling under there in that sort of we're kind of contending for a wild card space. Obviously not as good as, I don't think they're as good as Edmonton. I don't think they're as good as LA. I don't think they're anywhere near Vegas. Um, but, you know, Calgary, Vancouver, Seattle, all kind of being in that same cluster, I think would be a fair assessment. Uh, we, we had, this is a custom prop that I, uh, that I gave to Jamie earlier, and uh, I'm going to throw it at you since you um, took the Canucks in the same tier as the Kraken. Ten and a half points. Ten and a half points over five and a half points. I said, did I say five and a half? Yeah. Oh, I said five and a half. Yeah. Okay. That's why. That's why it was an easy decision for me. Oh, five, okay. Five, well, whatever. I'll stick with five and a half. Five and a half points uh, over under number of points the Kraken finish ahead of the Canucks at year's end. Wow. I would take. I would take the under on that. Yeah. Me too. Okay. Good. Yeah. Me and me and, me and Wish riding together. There you go. You're, hey, and you're, I'm and tailing you, but. You're catching me in a hot streak. You know, I, I had Buffalo minus a half a goal in the first period yesterday against Columbus, which has to be the most hilarious bet I think I've ever made. Nice. In the Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, was it six nothing after the first? That's just, <laughs> it was just stupid. I was I was watching that game and just giggling to myself. I'm like, I, I hate. I, it was that in that moment I hated being a nickel and dime hockey wager because that would have been a spike the football moment for me. I had. Um, I'm not. I'm contractually not permitted to gamble on hockey, but I had a five leg parlay that got blown up when the Golden State Warriors turned the ball over uh, on the Oof. last play of the game. Uh, they were up one and turned the ball over, and it was a layup the other way for the win for the Utah Jazz. I'm. I'm still not over it. See, that's the that's the beauty of me being on daily wager on ESPN too. Is like. I feel like it's part of my job that I have to bet on hockey. <laughs> right, it's like contractually right. obligated. It's, tough. Need to. it's a tough, <laughs> tough gig, but somebody's got to do it. <laughs> We're talking to ESPN's Greg Wyshynski here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. And, you know, you mentioned the Buffalo game, and obviously they put up nine. Tage Thompson steals the show against Columbus. One of the big stories around the league so far has been the absurd rate of goal scoring, the comebacks, all of that. I mean, even just last night, you look around at the crooked numbers that are being put up. And it's interesting because we saw a big scoring spike last year. And there was a a bit of a school of thought that it might plateau a little bit this year because maybe some of it was due to, you know, the roster churn with, with COVID protocol and everything still happening last season. Instead, it's accelerated. What's going on with the, uh, the scoring bump around the league right now, Wish? 
Yeah, Kristen Shilton and I wrote about it last year, and, and we were in that same place of, okay, how much of this is the fact that we have more goaltenders playing last season than have ever played in a single season in the NHL before? And how much of this is, is you know, losing guys midseason and, and, and systems being all messed up? And it, there's a lot of that kind of conjecture about the offensive spike last season because it was such a significant spike, highest scoring uh, season in the NHL since 95-96. As it stands, this would be, I think, the highest scoring NHL season since 93-94, which is kind of wild. Um, so it's a combination of factors. Some of them have been multi-year and some of them have been more recent. The multi-year ones have obviously been under the cap. We've seen rosters change in the way they're constructed. The fourth line is no longer a place where goons live. The fourth line is a place where you have young players scoring goals. Um, teams are constructed differently. And also because of the cap, we're seeing a lot of young players come into the league really young and, and, and inexperienced. And I, I talked to Barry Trotz about this last year, and he made mention of the fact that you're getting incredible offensive performances now from young guys that step into the league, but they also have no idea what they're doing defensively. Right? So that kind of leads to this, um, to this increase in scoring as well, where you're asking a lot of younger players and you're getting what you need, but you're also experiencing the downside. But one of the things that's constantly been talked about, and I do think that there's something to it, is the idea that the shooters and the scorers and the offensive players are just a little bit ahead of the goalies right now insofar as the, the analytics, insofar as their off-season coaching, insofar as the things that they're doing now to improve their part of the game that goaltenders haven't necessarily found an answer for yet. The goalies have been ahead of the shooters for maybe like 15, 20 years insofar as like their off-ice off prep and their coaching and, and their analytics. And now I think it's kind of reverse course and we're seeing, we're seeing the fruits of that really, really, uh, really come, come to light in the last couple of seasons. Do you like it? Do you like the product right now where you tune into a 3 nothing game and you're like, oh, this could go either way? So that I like. I mean, the fact that you can you can tune into an NHL game in the third period with a team down two nothing, and be confident that the game's not over is a really exciting thing because um, that's not always been the case. You can go back five years and that wasn't the case. So the fact that we have so much scoring and so much variance and, and nobody's ever out of a game is is the cool part about it. Um, the fact that we have a lot of scoring to entice casual fans to watch that wouldn't necessarily watch a two one game. I think is a really cool thing. The fact that we have a lot of scoring that makes Cage Thompson a household name, that, that makes, you know, what, what McDavid does uh, potentially threaten records. I mean, all of that's awesome. What I've had to do as, as an old guy, as a Gen Xer, <laughs> is really kind of come to grips with the fact that the hockey that I grew up with and, and made me a fan is a different sport than what this is. And, and as somebody who's written on the internet for now, like, you know, over 15 years, I really had to struggle with that because I'd be that whiny, shakes fisted cloud guy about rivalries aren't really rivalries anymore. And where's the physicality and, and, and occasional bouts of, of wanting more fights and shit, I'm sorry, stuff like that. And so I've like come to grips with the fact that this product is beautiful and great on its own merits, even if maybe it's a little farther to the offensive side than what my hockey brain would naturally want based on what I grew up with, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Hey, Wish, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, your, your New Jersey Devils, also one of the big stories in the league thus far. And I always find it interesting 
you know, obviously they're going to have to have playoff success before maybe they're really embraced as a, as a team to emulate. But with the way they're doing right now, teams love to look at successful, other successful teams and try to figure out what they can steal, what they can copy from their approach. What do you think teams will be looking to duplicate about how the Devils have put their team together and had this breakout season so far? Oh, man, speed, speed, speed. It's a speed league, and, and the Devils have built a roster around that concept. Um, and they're not afraid to, to press the tempo, and they're not afraid to use it. Um, the things the Devils do really, really well are all off the rush. And so one of the things I think that teams could really borrow from them based on, you know, I, I've written a couple stories about them and, and the way they play and, and their effectiveness this year. It's, it's, knowing, it's, it's figuring out that delicate balance of ru- scoring off the rush, creating off the rush, getting into the zone quickly, but also having your, you know, third forward in have the responsibility to get back defensively. And sometimes teams can't find that balance. Sometimes they overcommit. And especially with young players like the Devils had last season in particular, and, and they've sort of matured a little bit, is sometimes they can get caught and not know what to do and, and be irresponsible with the puck, and that leads to chances the other way. So I think the lesson from the Devils is that you can play with speed, you can play with tempo, but it, it takes a little bit of commitment and a pretty good system to develop the defensive side of the game. And, and frankly, that's the biggest shock about the Devils right now. I knew they could score. Like, Jack Hughes, Jesper Bratt, like, you knew they could score. It's the fact that they're controlling play to the point where they're a top three defensive team, like up there with the Bruins, is, is the real shock of it all for me. Like, that's something I couldn't anticipate based on what this roster looked like. And, and yet you watch games, and, and good, good luck taking the puck away from them because they're, they're not giving it back. Hey, Wish, before we let you go here, we were talking off the top about what the tank slogan would be if, if Adam Fantilli passes uh, Connor Bedard. We had a couple people text in. One, <laughs> get silly for Fantilli, and the other one, play real silly for Adam Fantilli. So there you go. Yeah, silly, and silly and Fantilli is the way to go. Silly is, is pretty – that's pretty good. I could, I could get behind that. Um yeah, that works. So there it you go. It ain't going to happen. I, I was going to say, it's probably not going to happen, but if it does, you're ready. You're ready to go. Not, not after yeah. uh, not after Fantilli's in the bottom six and Connor Bedard's on the top line for Canada at the World Juniors. Like, it's, it's, I mean, if it's, Fantilli makes it right, I mean, there's no yeah. guarantees in life. I so, think he will. We'll He's by, the, so good. by the way, it doesn't matter anyway because everyone's playing for silver <laughs> behind, behind Slovakia. Even, even we are. Even the mighty Americans are. I thought you were going to, yeah, I thought you were going to be pumping the U.S. tires no, there. No, not, not, not Slovakia. Nemish and Messar should be fun. Dude, I, you know I don't pay uh, any attention to World Juniors until I know that we're safely in the semifinals. And I'll tell you, I'll, have, me, have me back on, and I'll, I'll talk up to you now. <laughs> Wish we really appreciate it, man. Enjoy the rest of your day. Anytime. That is Greg Wyshynski from ESPN, of course. Did a fantastic job covering the league for ESPN. Uh, yeah, I thought Wish, very, a big American hockey booster. I thought that's exactly where he was going with that no, one. No, bigger Nemich boost. Apparently, yeah. yeah. Oh, I guess the Jet, the New Jersey Devils connection there. There so, you go. Yeah. What what a what a luxury item. Be one of the best teams in the league with the second overall pick, righty. Right shot defenseman coming. Yeah, and not not to mention, like, Luke Hughes is going to probably play. At, like, they'll add Luke Hughes for the deadline. Like, that's, that's one of those teams that's like, they should trade for defensive depth. It's like, no, they've got uh, NHL ready. Um, six foot two stud blue liner is just going to join the team once Michigan's eliminated. It's a, it's nice. It's a nice spot to be. Devils are in a good spot, Trancer. The, the Canucks, the Devils, the Avalanche, and the Coyotes, for whom 
time is a flat circle. Peers in 2017, peers no longer. Yeah, not even the Coyotes. No, no, no. no. Because they're just a completely different story. The Canucks have taken a totally unique path. Yes. The Coyotes also have taken a totally unique path. Uh, Yes, they have. Willy-nilly for Fantilli. But not unique for them. No. The Coyotes just are who they are. Mike in Abbotsford texts in willy-nilly for Fantilli, which I kind of enjoy as well. I I like that better than Silly. I'll be honest with you. Like, Silly... I mean, the Canucks played a silly game last night. Yeah, silly and they can played result a, in wins. Totally. Like, the, the, you don't get sillier than the Canucks, and the Canucks aren't getting anywhere close to the best lottery odds. You know? Willy-nilly for Fantilli. I like that. <laughs> it's like, it's like don't play so hard. Intentionally lose. Like, that captures it. Chet and Burnaby, play like Philly for Fantilli. Okay, that's the winner. <laughs> that's, that's the winner. No, no shock. No shock. I'm gonna, Absolutely fantastic. I'm going to let Wish know Anytime you can take a shot at the NHL team, that's very good. Yeah. Uh, keep them coming if you have any more. Uh, and we'll, we'll keep thinking of the Gavin McKenna 2026 one as well. This is going to be my new... Uh, thing that I'm watching in the dub this year is yeah, what, what can 14 about to turn 15 year old Gavin McKenna do you, you for know Medicine how, Hat? You know how I feel about my top dub prospects. I will say, in all seriousness, playing games in the dub before your 15th birthday is phenomenal. Outrageous. Like, absolutely phenomenal. Outrageous. No. So right there, I'm I'm impressed. I'm yep. very very impressed. Anyways, uh, more Gavin McKenna talk later, I'm sure. But next, we'll uh, we'll dive back into some of the individual performances from the Canucks game last night as well, the good and the bad. Uh, also share some updates on various Canucks players from insiders around the league. Get your text in 650-650. It is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Final hour of the show. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenumachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. I just want to give our listeners a sense of how the sausage gets made. So if you go to the Sportsnet 650 Instagram account, we're playing this game at the moment where you are handed a sheet, and it's a a blank sheet of a player's career stats. TikTok, TikTok. from from hockey. Oh, it's TikTok. DB. Sorry, when what's the handle, Dom? Plug At it. Sportsnet six fifty. At Sportsnet six fifty on TikTok. Anyway, you have to guess the player. So we get handed this sheet, and it's not an easy game. You know, completely blind. It's just a hockey reference page, basically, but with the name and all details about the player stripped out, aside from like the years he played, the team he played for, and their stats. And within five seconds, I get it. It's true. And the video is unusable because Jamie Dodd held the paper in front of his face. So you will never see my guessing excellence, but it happened. Can we spoil who it was at least? Or I don't know. I don't know how this works. I, I, I'm sure. finding a way to post this. Oh, Dom's finding a way to post yeah, it. So, so you will you can check it in. Why are you removing? Include the Jamie f- like holding the paper so people know. I felt J- like I was like an old man like peering through my bifocals at it, like holding it <laughs> a certain amount away from my face <laughs> so I could like get the reading distance right. Oh, well, it's good to remind everybody that you're older than me. Listen, you know, we're, on, we're on radio, not TV, okay? Hey, I'm not used to it. You're a killer host. <laughs> oh, thank you. But you're not ready for TikTok, man. <laughs> Listen, you're just that is not- 100% true i will never be ready for tiktok you're just not as the kids say chill i like to think i'm pretty chill <laughs> you are way more I, think I was gonna say i actually was thinking to myself today i was like you know people sometimes describe people who are cool as chill 
No one should ever describe me as chill. There's <laughs> nothing chill about me. I've never been chill a day in my life. Doesn't, I, I doesn't strive. mean I'm bad company. It just I'm I not strive chill. for chillness. I strive for chillness. When appropriate. I strive for whatever. Be whatever the opposite of chillness is. Yes, that's you that's I'm. I'd, congratulations. Thank you're, you. You're, you're meeting that nailing goal. Nailing it. Hey, we all need goals in it. life. I I want to be someone who you know at the end of the interaction you're like, whoa, that was a lot. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, you know. That's that's my goal. That's what well, I'm. I've I'm got, trying to leave everybody with a sense of mild exhaustion. I've got <laughs> I've got good news for you, buddy. Uh, people are continuing to text in their their tank slogans uh, a lot for Adam Fantilli, which are getting increasingly increasingly goofy. I will say, but Lacutus of Borg getting ahead of the game texts in keep your points teeny for Celebrini. Not bad. <laughs> Which I enjoy. I enjoy very much. So there you go. Lacutus. Drink a pregame martini for Celebrini. No. I like it. I like it. Uh, I'm basically just piggybacking off that much better one. Yeah, they're all good. Yeah. I mean fantastic. Hey man, let's let's uh let's have some fun. Marcus and Gibson's back check like Milsey for Fantelli. Oh wow. Which is a shot fired. Not fair. Shot fired at Marcus and Gibson's I did want to talk about that line in JT Miller, though. Well, we a do have bit. to talk about him not playing in overtime. Yes, and, and, only, also, and, only, and the minutes in general. I only think 18 minutes. Third or fourth lowest of the season. No shots. Doesn't get on the ice in overtime. He's not on the top line. Like, guess what? He played second line minutes. He's not on the top line. This shouldn't be a story. Like, Miller should play 18 minutes. Because that's where you're that's where you're gonna get the most out of him if he's playing normal forward minutes. Like we're so used to seeing JT Miller play twenty two minutes. Like it's never gonna be the what's best for him. In terms of especially if your goal is to have him drive two way results, right? Like if you want Miller being a really good defensive winger, then you probably want him playing eighteen minutes. minutes. If you want him to get ninety nine points and not play good defense, then twenty three minutes, fine. You know, I, for me, it's a, the the story is him not playing in overtime for me, not the minutes in general. The minutes in general, for me, that's like where he should be. Well, and to me, the story of the minutes becomes a story, even if you think it's where he should be, because it is different than what the trend has been, right? Now, yep. it was just one game, and it's not as if he has played other games below 20 minutes this season, right? So it has happened before. It's not as if it's unprecedented, but I think it's a thing to watch, right? It's a thing to monitor because... You know, we were just talking about it last week, or maybe it was even earlier this week. Who knows anymore? But we were talking about the idea that, you know, Canucks management maybe thinks Bruce Boudreaux rides certain players too much. I mean, obviously, JT Miller would be at the top of that list. He plays a ton. It's not a bad thing if that starts to correct, but I do think it's an interesting story if it becomes a trend. But as you said, the most pressing thing last night, you know, a guy who's supposed to be, what, your second most dynamic offensive forward with the puck on his stick? Doesn't get a shot in three-on-three overtime against the Sharks last night. Wild. I mean, it, truly, that's pretty wild considering, you know, how much this team has leaned on Miller repeatedly. I've got a question for you. Let's I, go. You know, I'm going to start doing this more because I had fun doing it yesterday and maybe it wasn't great radio, but I'm going to keep doing it until someone tells me to stop. There are trends that you pick up in commentary. Right? Like, whenever Bruce Boudreaux has been asked about leadership over the course of the season, 
Can you think back? What have his responses mostly be? You you listen to all his avails. So what what have, what what does he often say about leadership? Bo Horvat, Elias Pettersson, something like that. What, 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 how have they grown as a leader? He always comes back and seems to deliver a, a pretty consistent framing about how they lead. Is it about doing it on the ice? Is it not doing it on the ice as opposed to in the room? As opposed to talking. As opposed to yelling or screaming or like giving the speeches. Have you noticed that that's like an every time response? Every time. Why? How has this person grown as leader? Well, you know, the way he leads is by example or with his play or with his hard work. It's not. It's not. And then he comes back. He cycles back from that and specifically says, it's not about the words you say. We know who the most vocal guy on this team is, whether we're in the room or not. We all know. Is there something there, or is that me reading too much into things? Because I sort of wonder, is that a message that he's sending intentionally to perhaps one of his star players? That's an interesting one. I hadn't thought of it in that way. But it makes sense. It makes sense. I'm not ready to say it is something, but I see where you're going. I think it could be something. It could be a desire to say, listen, we know, like, talk is cheap, basically. That's the message. Talk is cheap. Do it on the ice. Do it for real. When my ears perk up, when my ears perk up on on things like this, it's never like with conviction. You know, like I'm mm. never like I'm never saying that's for sure a thing. Although the Stud Nico one I think was for sure a thing. Most of the time though, it's just like, hey, that's worth picking at. I should ask around. I should ask about the dynamic there. Um but yeah, I mean I don't again, I don't know. It's just something I've been noticing more and more. It's like a very disciplined response pattern for Boudreaux, and he always cycles back. It's not just that he says, this is how this guy leads. It's not always about being, you know, the loud guy or what you say. And then and then he finishes his answer. Like, it, it's it's a very structured, systematic answer he gives. And when, when someone's really disciplined in their speech patterns in that way, it's either something that's a core belief for them which it could be in Boudreaux's case, or it's something where they're trying to get a different, a very specific point across, and, and maybe in this case, a pointed one. Again, I think it's something to monitor. Marcus and Gibson says that's called accountability. Miller's finally getting his minutes cut. Maybe at 18 minutes, we'll see more effort late in shifts. That's from Marcus and Gibson's. And I mean, that's certainly the hope. Now, that line did not have a strong game last night. You look at the underlying numbers, and they are really, really dire for that trio and for all of those players individually. But... The idea that reducing a player's minute load, minutes load is going to you know create more efficiency in their game, make them more impactful on a minute-per-minute minute basis, that's not exactly a novel thing, right? So I would expect if there is a reduction in minutes, and look, that's a fairly significant uh, reduction too here. I mean, JT Miller's played a ton of games at the you know, 22, 23-minute mark this season. So to go it- from there and from an average of like maybe 21-ish to 18, that's a really significant minute drop. You should see an increase in, as you said, play driving, efficiency, details, effort, all of those things. It's also not an indictment. Like, the only reason it might be an indictment in this case is that Bruce Boudreaux has been playing the wheels off his best players. But, like, I remember writing at length about the Twins minutes and thinking like, hey, look, like, you got to keep these guys at 17-ish minutes. Right, people were like, "Why don't they kill penalties?" And it's like, "Cause you got to keep them at seventeen-ish mm. minutes." Like, you know, look at the intensity with which they play. Look at how much they're targeted physically. You know, the the Twins could obviously give you twenty-five if you really needed it, if you were really trailing in a must-win game. But you don't want to be doing that in February and October. You know, come on, 
I remember writing that at length, and I remember writing it at length when John Tortorella came in and was playing the wheels off them, and I was like, this is terrible. The Canucks were winning games. I was like, this is awful. I actually went back into the old Canucks Army archives, and I can't believe. Like, you think I'm negative now? You should have seen (laughs) how I covered the John Tortorella season. Like, I was so mad at how that team played all the time. It was wild wild and like i was i was shocked reading my tone in retrospect i was like wow i really hated how this team played that was when you were a young angry independent blogger well i just i just don't like yeah i mean that's true that's true but i also think i had this idea of what this team was and john tortorella's approach to that season just like offended it like i was calling i was saying i was I described it as a meat wagon hockey, and I like was disciplined about explaining exactly how it was meat wagon hockey. I was talking about their breakouts being like stodgy, and like I was just, I was just really cruel about the way they were playing. It was, um, yeah. I mean, I, I I was stunned. I would never write like I just I wouldn't write something like that about this team, even though I'm pretty critical of this team too. I do think another. Part I at least don't of... think they play. Like it's not that they. I don't now. I guess I guess the difference is is that I was really targeting the coach then, right? With and w- whereas like I I love how Boudreaux wants to play. I don't think he has the horses to mm. do it. I don't love all of his player deployment decisions, but for me that's like small picture stuff. Like big picture, Bruce's idea of what good fun hockey looks like, give it to me, right? Like I think that at the end of the day, that's the main reason. I do think the other thing with JT Miller's minutes is at least partly it's a recognition that Elias Pettersson has really stepped into the role of first line center, right? So you have to increase his minutes accordingly. We know he has really liked what he's seen from the fourth line, the quote unquote fourth line, although, you know, they, the way they get used, they're more of a, a middle six line. Yeah. Sometimes they so were I, a fourth line yesterday, though. They were a fourth line yesterday. Yeah. And surprisingly, the, uh, you know, Connor Garland had like 15 minutes of even strength ice time, which is not really a trend we've been seeing. But I, I think it's also the Miller thing is also partly about recognizing where some other minutes are, or at least he feels comfortable spreading some other minutes around on the team. But it's also hard, it's also tough to look at it and not think that it is at least partly maybe uh, an accountability thing with JT Miller. But it's something to ma- it's something to monitor. It's something to uh, to you know keep tabs on uh, as the games continue here for the Vancouver Canucks. Six fifty, six fifty. I just want to note. Far be it from me um, to take this sort of optimistic approach. Move to the wing. Despite a bad game yesterday for that line, when moved to the wing, JT Miller is not a problem defensively. You'll still see some moments where you might get frustrated, but how many how many times have you been watching five on five, so not counting the power play, and and sort of been like, wow, what what pass was that over the last three weeks? Like it just hasn't happened. You know, you, you you put him on the wing. When it does, it's been on the power play. When it, it happens on the power play. Yeah, because he still handles the puck a ton on the power well, play. Well, he, he's the quarterback. He's he's quarterbacking the power play. And like, look, the power play still looks awesome. Awesome. The power play is still really fun to watch, like a joy to watch. The five on three was bad against Arizona. Yes. And actually, the power play that night, I know Miller himself was really upset with it that evening. He said that was the night that our power, like, our power play was bad that night. Um, but for the most part, you know, JT Miller is the primary distributor, so when he makes mistakes, they're going to be loud mistakes 
on the power play because he's the guy who's handling the puck the most. He's got the highest volume of touches. Um, but on the wing, his defensive results, his two-way impact has been legitimately good. Like, genuinely very good. Miller on the wing has worked. Like, it ha- it's worked. There's no... There's no in. Well, here's there's one. No, here's there's one. No cause to criticize him, even though that back check. What was the game? The back check was really bad. Oh, I forget now. It was but the same one. It was the same one where he said we should be embarrassed. It was the Florida game, right? Here's one metric that we can tell that it's working, or at least it's working to a certain extent. I don't think we've got a single text from anybody saying they got to move JT Miller back to center. <laughs> They no. got they got to get him back down the middle. They're they're shallow down the middle. They're playing Jack Stanika's third line center. They got to get JT Miller back there. There's no one saying that because we can all see it's working way better. It's working I, way better. I'm I'm sorry. It, this was always obvious. This was one of those like uh, he went on such a heater at center, and it was fun to watch. And he was you know making Alex chase on a, a every game hat trick guy and and on and on. Like JT Miller can play center in a pinch for you, but he can't play top of the lineup center for a long sustained period of time and have your team be passable defensively. That's okay. That's okay. Like uh, a top six or a first line winger who can play third line center in a pinch, give you a different look one game or, or another. That's a huge asset. Like that's a valuable, that's a valuable wrinkle for a versatile player to have. I just don't think he's a full-time tough minutes matchup centerman. That's okay. That's okay. There's not a lot of them. There's not a lot of them, which brings the conversation to Bo Horvat and what he's going to get paid. Yeah, well, let's get into that right now because uh, Frank Saravelli was on the morning show with Halford and Barath, uh this morning. And, of course, the conversation about Bo Horvat, is he going to be traded? What's his next contract going to look like? And Saravelli had a very, very interesting number to share with the guys, Halford and Bruff. Here's what Saravelli had to say. There were rumblings last week that – the Canucks had potentially made a new offer or re-engaged with the Horvat camp. I have no confirmation or indication that that actually occurred or is the case. But I, the only sense that I have is that nothing has materially changed one way or the other with how things have gone with Horvat to this point. And I think more than that, there are whispers from other teams that I've spoken to I, I have reason to believe, guys, that one team out there, at least, and it only takes one, is willing to pay Bo Horvat a number that starts with a nine. Good Lord. Really? On just a long-term contract Cap's extension. Going up. Cap's it, going up. Cap's going up. Is need you, a center. Yeah. Absolutely I, need a center. And and this team that I spoke to said they think Bo Horvat is just a way younger version of Ryan O'Reilly. Woo! There is Frank Saravelli, NHL insider for Daily Faceoff, regular contributor here on Sports Six Sports at Six Fifty. A team is interested in giving Bo Horvat nine million a year on a long term contract extension. I mean, he's gonna contract. he's gonna need a way weirder stick blade before he can be Ryan O'Reilly. Have you ever seen Ryan O'Reilly's yes. stick blade? Yes. Oh my god, it's like a I don't know, it's like um, an egg beater or something. You might as well be using a whisk out there. It's crazy. Anyway. So you're telling me the Ryan Nugent Hopkins contract isn't happening? No, it never was. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's such six, six by six. Not going to get it done here. That's such homespun hooey. You know, like everyone loves to run down the value of a player until the moment they sign. I right? do think it's, it's really amazing. also really fascinating that 
So what's the constant criticism did, of, of home fans? Do, do people is, not watch hockey, though? No, 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 hold on. Did, did anyone ever think that Ryan Nugent Hopkins was a comparable for Bo Horvat? Like, really? I do think it's fascinating that what's the criticism, you know, you know oh, oh, those fans are homers. I always overrate their players. They overvalue their players. We had Jeff Merritt come on yesterday and say that he thinks Luke Shen has a shot at returning a first-round pick at the deadline, that it's at least in play. It's possible. Yeah. Now we have Frank Saravelli saying... There's teams out there that might be in the bidding for nine at nine million for Bo Horvat next year, and there's this kind of an unwillingness to believe that I sense from a, a lot of our listeners, which I can understand. I mean, I'm not saying either of those things will definitely happen. <laughs> I'm fading them too, though, right? Like, first of all, first of all, we need to see what the cap looks like, right? Like, if the cap goes up five million. Then nine million, I think, if the cap goes up nine million and Dylan Larkin signs in Detroit for you know eight times eight and a half, then I could see it, right? Nine nine plus for Bo. Oh man, I really struggle with that. That said, that said, we have to acknowledge how unique a situation this is, right? A fifty-eight percent face-off winning centerman who leads the league in draws, who's capable in matchup minutes. And who's currently, th- what, third in the NHL? Fourth, I think, after Tage Thompson last night. But Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, Tage Thompson scored a quarter of his goals in one period, yeah. didn't he? Um, okay. So, fourth, top five in the NHL in goals. Still really good. And let's and let's assume a fair bit of regression. Let's, like, like, let's say Horvat ends the year as a 40-goal-scoring centerman who can hold up in a matchup role and win 58% of his draws. Oh, boy. We've never, like, I, do you have to go back to Chris Drury? And before that, you maybe have to go back to, um, who was the big, Bobby Holik? Oh, yeah. Who didn't even score like that? No, Bobby Holik, shut down guy. And signed such a big contract that the NHL scuppered a year to get a hard cap. They were like, oh boy, we can't have this. this. (laughs) Now, I will say the 9 million... The nine million thing. It's conceivable and the, and this text because comes of in. how unique it is. This text comes in. Nine million is agent talk, trying to get his client a good deal. Agent plants no. that number. Saravalli said it was he was talking to a team. Yep. If Saravalli says he's talking to a team, he was talking to a team. Yeah. If if he was if you know if it was like some people think or there's a sense Sources in the industry, say, yeah. that might be an agent. But he was specific, and he's Saravalli. Saravalli's not lying to you. When I hear there's a team interested, or would potentially be interested in Bo Horvat at nine million per season, what I think is a team that's not very good, that has a significant number of cap space, or at least feels that they can open it up, and wants to kind of make this immediate jump to respectability. Because I don't think you're looking if you're a contending organization. You're not opening up the checkbook to pay Bo Horvat nine million a season. I don't think I could be wrong about that, but that's not the immediate read I get. Right? I look at it as almost like a, Anaheim, a lesser, ver- yeah, Anaheim or a lesser version of Johnny Gaudreau to Columbus. Right? Where okay, maybe this is jumpstarting our process a little bit. We're not right there in that contention window, but hey, if we've got a chance to sign this player, we'll break the bank to do it. Anaheim is a good example as well. That's my read on what the potential team could be. Heck, maybe it would be Columbus. Pair, oh, pair a goal-scoring center with your playmaking winger. Let's go. I have a different twist for you. If you're telling me that a team views Bo Horvat as a younger Ryan O'Reilly, 
That, to me, makes me wonder if it's the team that currently employs Ryan O'Reilly. That's interesting. Right? Like, if you're being like, he's exactly like this guy who is much older, especially because Saravalli emphasizes much, much younger. (laughs) Anyway, that's what I would think. Yeah, that's an interesting one. But I guess the, the point I was trying to make is there might be teams interested, team or teams plural interested in in trying to get Bo Horvat at nine million plus per season. It doesn't necessarily mean that's going to happen because it comes down to what Bo Horvat wants, right? So there might be Team X offering him that, but Team Y that for whatever reason fits Bo Horvat's well, needs a lot more offers him a little bit less, and then he ultimately and, takes that. And how's this going to work, right? Like if Horvat hits free agency, he's going to get wined and dined. Yep. Right. Like this is going to be like, do you know how thoughtful Horvat is about the business? Like, his business? Like, do you follow him on social media? I do not. Okay, well, there's a lot of spawn con. There's a lot of sponsored content. He's in the commercial with Connor McDavid. Right? Bo Horvat practices, right? He prepares the way he's adapted his game, right? Sought outside opinions on how to be a more dangerous goal scorer, right? Like, Bo Horvat's a businessman, okay? This is a mature player who is thoughtful about maximizing his income and plays a game worth, like, he plays the perfect game to get paid. (laughs) He really does. Goal-hungry, face-off winning, big, defensively responsible centerman. Who, who, by the way, known throughout the league as a serious business-like individual. Okay, Bo Horvat's a pro. How do you think a pro gets... Goes through free agency. He's probably not even just going to take the biggest number. They go through the process. He might. They go through the process. He's going to have a lengthy process. They hear all the offers. They consider. They weigh all the different factors. He'll think. He'll he'll ask around. Right. Maybe maybe a former London Knight uh, alum like oh I don't know John Tavares. Right. He'll he'll figure out. He'll do it right. He'll be thoughtful about it unless some team blows him over. You know, sort of mid season. As he's in, as he's on the block, right, and offers him that sort of extension where you take it because, hey, look, you, do you really want to play thirty more games and risk injury? That's how this works. Mm-hmm. That's how this works. That's how this will work. It's really hard to project because ultimately, like a team might offer him nine, but for a variety of reasons, he prefers to take eight times eight. Yeah, well, with it, another team, it comes down to what he wants, and that means I don't just mean the balance between winning and money, although that's part of it. That's right? a big you're, part. You're of willing it. to take less to go to an organization. I guarantee that you, you thinks, he wants to win, man. That's fair, but it's also you know location. It's how the organization wines and dines you, the, the pitch they make to you. It's the role the you're going to have your teammates, the vision, all of that. Right, that all factors in trust. That all factors into it at some yep. level. So it's impossible to say. It, it's impossible to say what how that all balances out for Bo Horvat, but I do think that's really important to hear from Frank Zaravelli that there could be some, whether or not he takes them, whether or not that's what his contract ends up looking like, there are some teams ready to put out some eye-popping numbers for Bo Horvat should he become an unrestricted free agent. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. You can keep your thoughts coming in. Final segment of the show coming up, uh, and we will uh, we'll be right back. It is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650.
Final segment of Canucks Talk here live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber tax line. The smart alternative is at Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Lots of great reaction to the Frank Zaravelli report that there is a team that might be willing to offer Bo Horvat a contract in the $9 million per season range. I want to get into that, but first I want to tell you again about Food Bank Friday. Sportsnet 650 has teamed up once again with the Greater Vancouver Food Bank virtual fundraiser for the Food Bank is December 16th from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. It's going to raise important funds for accessible, healthy, and sustainable food for individuals and families. You can check out the events tab at sportsnet.ca slash 650 to donate. We're excited this year, very, very excited to have two anonymous donors back again who will match donations dollar for dollar up to the first $45,000. That's incredible. That means your impact will be at least $4 for every dollar you donate, uh, including, of course, the Greater Vancouver Food Bank buying power. You can add your own match or challenge to to do that. Email events at foodbank.bc.ca. And, of course, the Greater Vancouver, Vancouver Food Bank can always use your donations of cash to distribute healthy, nutritious food to people in need because they do have that buying power of two to one. So your donation always goes twice as far. It's a great event. Again, you can find out more. Check out the events tab at sportsnet.ca slash 650 to donate. So that that report from Saravelli, as it did on the morning show, as it did on social media earlier today, and as it is done now on our show, Drancer, definitely uh, get people's attention. Got people fired up for sure. And we had this text come in uh, who says, first of all, hello, Canucks talk, first time texting. Thank you for texting. He says, love your program. A Canucks fan who moved to Ontario six years ago. My question, if Horvat is worth $9 million, what is his trade value? And that, by the way, is from uh, Kurosh, and I hope I'm getting the name right, Kurosh. Thank you for texting in. I mean, the easy answer is it's a lot. His trade value is really, really significant. Now, just because it, a team might be willing to pay Bohorov at $9 million, it does not necessarily mean that that same team is willing to pay a massive package to acquire Bo Horvat in season, right? Because they might be looking to the summer and saying, well, hey, we want to take our shot at him in the summer. But it does speak to the overall valuation around the league. Okay, trade value can be complicated because it will obviously differ team to team, right? Very much so. Here's what we can tell you about the history of players like Bo Horvat and their trade value. First, plus, plus, as a rental. Now, so this is an, a center who's really good on an expiring contract being dealt from a non-playoff team to a contender, right? The, the most classic deadline formulation. This is the easiest type of comparison to make because it's like isolate it to like the month before, you know, I, I basically have a whole spreadsheet of like every high profile. I built it actually for JT Miller. Yeah. Right. I wanted to understand how uh, historically rare it was for a guy in the top 10 in NHL goal scoring to be traded, um, you know, either during or after a season, in which they were top 10 NHL goal scorer. And I found that it hadn't happened since Phil Kessel got traded um, from Toronto to Pittsburgh. So, very rare. <laughs> in doing so, though, I also compiled a bunch of trades for, you know, what I would call top six centermen, right? To, to qualify for my spreadsheet, you had to have your, a certain level of offensive production. Mm. You know, and it wasn't that high, but it was like at least 50 points, 60 points a year. And 
So I can easily parse it and figure out the expiring uh, trade guys. J.P. Pajot went from Ottawa to New York in 2009, uh, 2020 for a first, a second, a third. Okay, Matt Duchesne went from Ottawa to Columbus the year that they swept the Tampa Bay Lightning. So what was that, 2018? That was a first, a conditional first. Um, that would have been 19, but yeah. Was it? Going into the, nine, the playoffs in 2019. Okay, 18-19. That was a first, an additional conditional first. I believe Vitaly Abramov went to Ottawa as well. And then I think there was an additional asset. I think there was a third. So that's a first plus 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 for Matt Duchesne. Uh, Martin Hansel went from Arizona to Minnesota in 2017. That was a first, that was a third, and that was some other asset. Um, Kevin Hayes went from Philly to – was it Philly? Yeah. No, no, New York. Went from New York to uh, Winnipeg. That was a first plus plus. Okay, so th- that's sort of like the the wheelhouse we're in. Paul Stasny also went to Winnipeg. I mean, there's a couple others you can throw in. But what do all of those players have in common? They all netted a first plus plus. What else do they have in common? None of them are as good as Bo Horvat. So in a world where the Canucks are trading Bo Horvat as a rental, you would think that the Matt Deshane package, where it's a first, a first, a first, a conditional first, a really good prospect and another asset, is sort of like the governing comp for a guy who's in the top five in NHL goal scoring at the moment. That's a haul. Now, the Canucks would prefer a really good young player or two or three in exchange for any of their top player assets. This is Horvat. This is Thatcher Demko, right? And Demko's increasingly being whispered about as, as a potential consideration. For me, that's only a move that the club makes if they really decide to change their plan and take a material step back. So let's stay, stick with Horvat because I will, that's the more active one. I will say it is surprising to me how much Demko – how how much we have heard those whispers. That, it, that surprises me. Now, I'm not saying it's going anywhere. I think you're right. That's still pie in the sky to me. But if you'd asked me three months ago, I would have said, we're not even going to hear that name. We're not like, just, just erase it from your thoughts. I think it's, well, I think it's solely built out of an assumption that, so one thing I've been talking about a lot on this program is management, I think, has seen the front front end of this season and begun to conclude that they think they're further away than they had hoped as a team. In a world where you're further away than you had hoped, being in the mushy middle is death, right? What keeps you in the mushy middle most con- convincingly of all? Great goaltending. Really good goaltending. I think it's as simple as that. If you're if you're going to take a more significant step back, what does that process start with? It starts with trading Thatcher Demko, right? Like, clearly, because he's the guy who single-handedly can drag this team into the playoffs. I mean, Patterson's also doing a pretty good impression of that over the last three weeks. But for the most part, at some point, you need the goaltending too. So, the Canucks want young players. Contenders don't want to move young players. In fact, that's the thing they hold to most tightly. Prize, right? Cheap labor, as Wish put it, and as I often do. So, those are hard deals to complete with contenders. Now... And that I'll just like I've heard. Um, I think I saw Michael Russo, your colleague at the Athletic, at some point on Twitter say, you know, the Minnesota Wild, who he covers, Bo Horvat would be a great fit. It's just they're the like 
prototypical team that desperately needs to cling to cheap labor because of their cap situation. So yeah, Bo Horvat would be a great fit for them, but are they going to give up any young players to in order to to make that deal possible? Oh, and, it doesn't make sense to me. And they're locked into like a three more year cap crunch. Oh yeah, like their they whole, desperately need it. Their whole the the Caprizov era. Who's the most important person in the Caprizov era for the Minnesota Wild? I don't know, Matt Boldy? Nope. Judd, Judd Brackett. <laughs> I'm, you think I'm kidding? Uh, I know what you mean, right? To, you know, to keep, it's like, to keep the it's pipeline like, full. It's like you either churn Matt Boldy's out, right? You either have this talent flow continuing to course through the organization or you're hooped or you're not winning on Kaprizov's second contract. Anyway, let's come back to the team we actually talked yes. about. If a team wants to jump the market for Horvat, right? This might be an inferior team, but a team that wants to jump the market and pitch an extension now and is willing to pay uh, Matthew Kachuk style for the right to do that, then I think probably young players maybe come into play in a more convincing way, right? All of a sudden, it's a different sort of conversation because those teams can afford, in some ways, most of them probably have a surplus of yeah. young players those teams can afford to part with the types of assets that the Canucks would probably prefer, all things being equal to acquire. Now, I do wonder, yeah. though, and Ryan Ryan texts in, that eighth year is a massive chip for a team acquiring him midseason, the ability to give him Correct. an eighth year. I do wonder, though, if that team requires not necessarily to have an extension hammered out before the trade, but at least oh, no, 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 to no. talk to have a really good no, sense no, no. about it, right? Extension hammered out yeah. before the trade. Because otherwise it's just such a massive risk. If, well, if, why would you do it? Yeah. you No, no. You do that with extension in hand. And by the way... So then that gives Bo Horvat leverage. All of a sudden, correct. even though he That's, doesn't have the no trade deal, he, all of a sudden he becomes a party to the situation. And and it allows him to pick his destination, right? Like it's not a no trade... He, Bo Horvat has no trade protection, but... Because of the contract dynamics, if he's a rental, he has no he has no say. If he's a sign and trade ish type guy, he very much does, and that's a big chip for him to play in terms of figuring that out. So, those are the dynamics that we're looking at here. In a world where he's a sign and trade type, like a traded with an extension to not necessarily a playoff team or or even a playoff team then I don't really know what the market looks like. Then it could be a massive deal, right? Like, then then the Canucks could get their young players on and on. Totally different set of considerations. Don't really have a ton of historical precedent for it. Centermen like Bo Horvat very rarely get moved. I, I mean, I guess you'd look at, like, the Kadri return, which returns, like, Kerfoot on, um, mm. on an affordable second contract, and Barry, who, you know, was highly regarded at the time, like, prized as a sort of fringe top pair defenseman, right? Canucks deeply involved in, in, in those trade talks too that summer. Um, that's the sort of thing you start to look at as as a comparable for Horvat, yeah, a higher end, like a premium version of the Kadri trade. Um, so, you know, in, in any event, Horvat's trade value is through the roof. He's going to get paid. He's a really good player. You'll be really happy for him. I, I mean, I will anyway. Um, and that's sort of, those are, those are the set of, now, are we overrating Luke? Are we underrating Bo Horvat in this market? Are we underrating Luke Shen? I think we've been underrating Bo Horvat. I think Horvat. I mean, I've always said Horvat to me is a low end first line center, right? Like by which I mean that I think he's a top thirty two centerman in the game, but on the low end, like not not top twenty five. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, I think there's teams for whom Bo Horvat could play 1C minutes. His offensive production, I don't think, excels when he's in a top-line role. Certainly not at 5-on-5, but he can hold up in a matchup role. And and for me, he's like the perfect championship-level 2C. Like, I see him as sort of like a Braden Shen analog. Like, ideally, you want him behind another first-pair guy, but he can give you an awful lot of uh, push in, in that sort of spot. Um, I don't think we've been underrating him necessarily, but I don't know that his, you know, remember how mad this market got when people were like, he's going to be on team Canada. Yeah. We still, we still get pushed back about that. I think there's a, I think there's a sense that I almost wonder if it's like an overreaction in a market that's so regularly like embraced the non superstar local star, like the Trevor Linden, like, Mm. like almost a backlash to the Trevor Linden thing in this market. Maybe, maybe it's something like that. I do think there's also just kind of a natural knee-jerk. But it's also Nasland. Like, you know what? It happened with Nasland. Do you realize, like, Nasland was the top-scoring forward in hockey, and not by a little bit, like, by, like, 40 points over a four-year stretch of games. Like, yeah. Nasland hit a level that, like, no one except the Twins, like, not even Pavel Bure, speaking of name drops, spoke who I spoke to last night. Um, That's more impressive than Bruff. It is. <laughs> Um, you should have led with that one. <laughs> um, not even Burray hit that level. I mean, he did as a goal scorer, but not as an overall point producer. Um, and Nasland, I think, like, I feel like in his prime or even today, if you were like, Nasland was a superstar in this league for a, for a prolonged stretch, people would be like, nah. He really was, though. <laughs> like, like, he was basically Kucherov yeah, level it, for for the Vancouver Canucks. Part of that issue is also... That they didn't win. Well, but it's also where scoring was at the time in the league, right? No one was scoring, and he was. Yeah, it, it's so it's you look at the numbers now, and they don't pop relative to what people are doing now. Right. Or what people do, were doing 10, 10 to 15 sure, years. But they but do relative the time, to... The, they do, They yeah. were incredible. Yeah, I mean... It was the dead puck era, right? Le- legitimately, you have to, like... Even the Twins didn't lead the NHL in scoring... Over, over like, a four year over span. a four year span, like they were, um, I think. I think. Sorry, that's not quite right. Over a four year span at their heights from '09 to 2013. I don't know why I remember this stuff. Henrik Sedin is exactly tied for first in points with Alex Ovechkin, but obviously Alex Ovechkin would have more goals, yes, and thus be first. Also, I believe Ovechkin missed like 40 games in that stretch, whereas Henrik obviously never missed games. So, you know, you'd sort of say it was Ovechkin. Anyway, sure. anyway, we're it's still ludicrous I'm, I'm to tie Prime. Can, I'm glad we can give you a venue to just, like, unload all of the <laughs> hockey trivia that you've accumulated. That's absurd. Just, like, unpack it a little bit here. That one, that one I don't know, like, why I know that one so well. Um, well, it's just because it's the Twins' greatness. Sorry, what were you even talking Bo Horvat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, literally, I've we've I've name dropped Bure. We've like debated Naslin's legacy and talked about the heights that the Sedin twins hit. Coming out of the conversation, now back to Bo Horvat. about whether or not Bo Horvat is underrated in the market. I don't think he's underrated in the market. I think this market's. I think I think Horvat's been like a fan favorite for most of his time here. I just don't think he's been like a resonant superstar. Like, there's never been Bo mania. Well, yeah, and I don't. I... I still, no, there's never been, a, I still wouldn't call him a superstar level player. No, no, but there's never been Bo Mania. No. That's like, like, you know, there was- Like, a, even like Besser had in his rookie year. Sure. I would say. Well, Bo, uh, Bo, Brock Besser has this, like, very touching emotional resonance for Canucks fans. Like, Brock Besser feels like this fan base, 
this fan base cares for him as a human being in a way like I don't think Bo Horvat's shown us enough of himself in the same way or been through as much. So I just think there's not the same emotional attachment. Mm. That would be how I'd describe it. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I he is the fair. captain, so I think it that does create emotional connection too. I'm not saying totally. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying about Bassett, but I would say even before that emotional connection developed, just purely purely based on the on ice results, the hype for Besser in his rookie season is higher than it's ever been for Bo Horvat until maybe this year, right? Yeah, now. and you know, even like maybe the hype, maybe the hype would have been there, but it's like the f- playoff series where he comes in and he's 19 and he's better than point per game playing as a fourth line center. Yeah, like everyone's just like, yeah, but 18 year old Sam Bennett. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, it's just. Anyway, Bo Horvat, uh, Bo Horvat's a really good final, player. Uh, I don't think he's underrated. Final though. text on this point. Uh, Chris from Nanaimo says, if Bo gets nine schmill, does that not put Petey over 12? Wow. That's from Chris from Nanaimo. We had a couple other texts. Well, wait to, to that see point. where the cap goes. Like, well, that's that, the key thing. That's the other part of this bo- report on Bo Horvat. And, Correct. you know, you said you, you would judge him as maybe a low end uh, 1C. I mean, how many years are we away from nine million being the going rate for a low end 1C? Is Bo Horvat. The Timofey Mozgov? <laughs> is he the Mozgov that we that was promised? For those listeners who don't know, I've spent years talking about the moment the league agreed to the flat cap structure, I began to start I began to talk about how some NHL player somewhere out there in the ether playing second line minutes for a team is going to be down the line. The NHL's Timofey Mozgov. Timofey Mozgov, of course. Uh, was a, just like a pedestrian centerman for the mm-hmm. New York Knicks. Came available as a free agent the year that the cap massively leaped due to a influx of broadcast revenue, the same sort of spike in revenue that allowed the Golden State Warriors to sign Kevin Durant. And he got paid, like, I don't remember the number, but it's like $70 million for four years yeah. with the Lakers. Like, just like something outrageous that had no connection with anything we'd previously seen. Some NHL player is going to be the next Timofey Mozgov now. If the cap only goes up $4 million, I don't know that Bo Horvat getting nine is Timofey Mozgov territory. I think we're still waiting for, like, you know, X equivalent of, like, Brian Bickle and or uh, Yoel Armia. You know, like, the the totally a third-line winger who just gets hot in the playoffs and has, like, a wide frame. So people are like, they win when it counts! You know? And then that guy's going to get, like, six and a half, and people are going to be like, oh, my God! Like that, I think is more in line with what I'm looking for, for from the next Timofey Mozgov. But yeah, Horvat nine five. I think we're getting into Mozgov territory. As for what it means for Elias Pettersson, as for what it means for Jason Robertson and the worst oh my, contract signed oh of the gosh. last three years, like anyone who calls that a bargain for Dallas is off their rocker. The moment that deal was signed, that team hooped themselves, hooped themselves. Like that was. One of the worst single hockey decisions we've ever seen, and it's only looked worse since the Pedersen. I mean, yeah. Well, no, Pedersen. Pedersen could he could he be a twelve million dollar player in a world with a ninety five million dollar upper limit? Yeah. Yeah. The overall question of where our center salary is going is a very good one, and and I think maybe the nine million number reflects. Some uncertainty from the teams as well. Like, where, where are they going? The up, price. up, up. Maybe that is going to be the price for Bo Horvat. Maybe it's not going to look outrageous in, in two or three years, right? No. Like Teams have to be preparing for that possibility right now. Because oh, uh, you know why teams have to be preparing for that possibility? Because players' agents are. Mm. You know who tends to anticipate this stuff a lot better than the teams? 
players, players' agents. I mean, remember the David Clarkson deal? Oh, do I? Yeah. Remember when? Remember when agents figured out how to buy out proof contracts before NHL teams were really conscious of it? Like, guess what's going to happen in terms of projecting where the cap is going? Guess who's going to win? It's the guys with law degrees. The guy, it's the guys the guy with law degrees. Win. It's not. It's it's not the ex players. Uh, by the way, before we get out of here, Marcus and Gibson's and a few other people texted in that Bowmania during the bubble series against the Blues. Oh, okay. Thing, which is a good shout. The goals he's. I mean, those were awesome. Those are great goals. Those are awesome goals that he scored in but, that series. But it was like in the context of the team's playoff run. I think that was more a moment for the team and Horvat as the captain of the team than it was about Bo specifically. No? It was. Well, like, no, like, it was like, also based on his individual performance. It was. Because he had those game-breaking moments in those in that series. It was, but compare it to like Bubble Demko no, it, and it, how that became and, a meme. And to it's be not fair, like he was the face of their playoff success. And to be fair, but all of the people who are texting in are saying it was a momentary thing. It didn't last like Bubble Demko did. You know what I mean? It was a, It was there, and then it was gone after the Bubble Yeah, he'll always be big game-bo to me. Like he, he, and you know what? And you know what? Whatever team acquires, if he goes as a rental, I can promise you this, too. Ice water in that gentleman's veins. If he gets a chance to play for a really good team in the playoffs, you know what he's going to do? He's going to score big goals yet again. It'll be a blast. Too it'll bad, be a blast too, to watch. Tough, it just, I think, but it it'll just be fun to watch that we never well. got to see him do that regularly in Vancouver. That's going to do it for us today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to everybody for texting in. The PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich is coming up next. We will be back to nor- back tomorrow. Another big Friday show to wrap up the week. Look ahead uh, to the Canucks game on the weekend against the Wild and more. Again, the PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich is next here on Sportsnet 650.